With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I mentioned in the intro that you don't have to be an Apple fan to enjoy this podcast. I think that is especially true for today's episode, which is brought to you in part by Betstamp, the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. So today, we are going to talk about the situation at Juventus. I apologize for taking so long to get to this. I've had a lot of requests from listeners to chime in on the subject, so thank you for that. Even though this isn't exactly a breaking story anymore, I wanted to give it some time as every day we seem to be getting new information on this investigation. If you haven't followed this story, perhaps you've been engulfed by the World Cup, let me fill you in on what's happened and as always, I will try to be as objective as possible even with an investigation on Juventus. Now, I've relied on a couple of articles for the background on this. As you can imagine, for a story of this magnitude, all of the big hitters are writing about it. James Horncastle wrote a piece for The Athletic entitled, Juventus in Crisis, What Triggered Board's Resignation and What Happens Next? Nikki Bandini wrote a piece for The Guardian entitled, Juventus in Turmoil as Sudden Andrea Agnelli Departure Marks End of an Era. And then Mick Gates wrote a piece for Forbes entitled Andrea Agnelli's Juventus Era is the classic rise and fall story, so what's his legacy? Calcio Finanza has covered this story quite well and in excruciating detail as they're prone to do. And then of course, if you want the wild rumors and the crazy speculation, then all you have to do is hit up every single Italian newspaper. So... 
It all started on Monday of last week, November the 28th, when we learned that Andrea Agnelli, Pavel Nedved, and the entire Juventus board of directors stepped down amidst investigations into financial irregularities at the club. Now, Juventus have denied any wrongdoing. They issued a statement about a week ago indicating that the reported financial irregularities, quote, fall within those allowed by applicable accounting principles. So what are these financial irregularities? There are two types. The first is something that Napoli fans should be quite familiar with because we were one of the 11 Serie A clubs that were subject to the investigation. In 2021, Juventus disclosed that they were being investigated by CONSOB, which is Italy's securities market regulator, over revenues from players' registration rights. Later that year, Covisoc, which is Italy's supervisory commission on professional football clubs, reported 62 suspicious player transactions to the Fijici. This was the so-called Plus Valenza case, where clubs were accused of inflating player values and swap transactions, which provided a short-term benefit of helping to balance the books. 42 out of those 62 transactions involved Juventus, with the highest profile transaction being the Mirlan Pjanic Artur swap. Now for Napoli fans, this is probably not the hill we want Juventus to die on, because that could implicate Napoli as well. Five of those 62 transactions involved Napoli, and all were related to the Victor Osimhen purchase from Lille. In fact, I think that transaction got even more headlines than the Pjanic Artur one did. We paid a reported fee of 80 million euros for Osimhen, comprised of 50 million euros in cash, 20 million euros total for backup goalkeeper Orestes Carnetsis, and three Primavera players, Claudio Manzi, Ciro Palmieri, and Luigi Liguori, and then up to 10 million in bonuses. That 20 million valuation for Carnetsis, Manzi, Palmieri, and Liguori came under scrutiny given that most of them are now playing in the lower levels of Italian football. But to put it into perspective, if you say those four players were actually worth 5 million euros in total, then their total value was inflated by 15 million euros, which is not good. However, the reports are that Juventus generated approximately 155 million euros in artificial plus Valenza, so roughly 10 times the amount that Napoli did. Now, in April of last year, all 11 clubs that were investigated were cleared by the sports judge as the prosecutor's office relied on a popular but unofficial website that I'm sure you've heard of called TransferMarked to determine players' true values. That sounds pretty amateur of the prosecutor's office if you ask me, but generally speaking, it's very difficult to objectively determine the value of a player. I said this at the time of the investigation as well. It's not uncommon for clubs to gamble on young players, and quite often they don't pan out. However, every once in a while they do, and that compensates for the ones who don't. 36 of the 62 transactions that were investigated involved young players, so you could easily chalk this up to speculation, even if it does smell a little bit fishy. Now, there has been some talk that this case could be reopened in light of this breaking story at Juventus, especially after reports surfaced of suspicious and unusual dealings with Sassuolo, Atalanta, Genoa, and other clubs. But again, as Napoli fans, we probably don't want that to happen. The other allegation is a bit more serious. This is the so-called Prisma investigation, which includes allegations of false accounting, false financial statements, 
and market manipulation. As part of this investigation, the prosecutor's office of Turin obtained a search and seizure order and authorized the Guardia di Finanza, which is basically the financial police, to raid Juve's training grounds and offices. Sixteen people are under investigation, including Andrea Agnelli, Pavel Nedved, and former sporting director Fabio Paratici. Anza published the entire indictment, which is a 29-page legal document that includes the list of those who are being indicted, which includes the club itself, and it lists all the accusations in excruciating detail. If you want a copy of that, send me a DM and I will send you the link. The list of allegations includes the artificial capital gains of 155 million euros that I mentioned earlier, false news on salary maneuvers, I'll get to that in a second, underreporting operating losses, false company communications, market manipulation, fraudulent declarations with the use of invoices for non-existent transactions, and being an obstacle to the supervisory authorities. Now, the papers have been leaking various bits of information, so it's hard to determine what is legitimate and what is not, but we've heard about wiretaps, we've heard about unpaid commissions to players' agents, we've heard that Cristiano Ronaldo's lawyers are now involved regarding unpaid wages of approximately 20 million euros, and there have been reports that Matthias De Ligt and Mattia De Chilio have produced screenshots of the players' WhatsApp group that would appear to confirm some of the shady salary maneuvers. Specifically, in March of 2020, which of course was at the early stages of the pandemic, Juventus issued a statement claiming that their players had agreed to a four-month wage reduction from March to June, which saved the club approximately 90 million euros. Apparently, the players actually only waived one month of salary and were basically paid the other three months under the table, which feeds into the accusations of underreporting operating losses and market manipulation. The club's stock value actually increased by about 5% the day after that statement about players' salaries was issued. Now, the club has since drafted restated financials, which will go for approval at the club's shareholder meeting on December 27th. Under the new draft, the 2022 statements close with a loss of 239.3 million euros compared to 254.3 million in the previously approved version, and the 2021 losses closed at 226.8 million euros compared to 209.9 million in the previously approved version. In other words, more of the losses have now been accounted for in the 2021 fiscal year and less in the 2022 fiscal year, largely due to the treatment of personnel costs, namely player salaries. That could have implications with respect to financial fair play. Shortly after La Liga stuck their noses in and demanded, quote, that the competent authorities apply immediate sporting sanctions against the club, the first chamber of the UEFA club financial control body opened an investigation into Juventus for violation of FFP. This past August, the CFCB concluded a settlement agreement with Juventus on the basis of the financial information previously presented by the club related to the financial years ended in 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022. Given the aforementioned irregularities, that investigation could result in UEFA terminating the settlement agreement and in the extreme case, exclusion from UEFA club tournaments. 
So that is where we stand today. This is very much a developing story and it is going to take some time to unfold. Until then, all we can do is hypothesize and speculate about how this might play out. And that is exactly what we'll do in part two. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part two of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetStamp. With the BetStamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sports books in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts. And best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the BetStamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. Okay, I'm joined now by a couple of guests to help me chat about this whole situation and how it might unfold. Both guests are close personal friends of mine, so they may not have huge public profiles on social media, but I can assure you they are two of the smartest football minds that I know. I'll start with a first-time guest on the show. He happens to be a financial expert. He's a CFA, and he has years of experience working both on the investment side and on the audit and risk side, Savis Platinitis, welcome to Fort Sinopoli. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. So happy to be here. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, to use your words, this story brings together two of your favorite subjects, which are football and financial misconduct. You're actually <laughs> a massive Chelsea fan, and I've been waiting for Napoli and Chelsea to cross paths so I can bring you on the show. There's a chance that they could draw each other in this year's Champions League if Chelsea get past Borussia Dortmund and Napoli get past Eintracht Frankfurt. So who knows? Maybe we'll have you on again later this season. Our second guest is perhaps reluctantly making his second appearance on the show because he is a Juventino. <laughs> and to use his words, he's here to talk about his team's downfall and destruction. <laughs> Michael Bonadiman, welcome back. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be back on the, on the pod and maybe for different topics that we're going to talk about Juve this time. But let's see where we can discuss today. Absolutely. So let's get right into that. I want to start with something that might be obvious, but I think it is worth pointing out. I mentioned in part one that Juve are denying any wrongdoing. That, of course, begs the question that if they've done nothing wrong, then why did the entire board step down? Those two things are difficult to reconcile. Now, obviously, it doesn't happen often that entire board step down all at once. But Sav, in your experience, should that be considered a strong indication that the club has been engaged in some sort of illegal activity? I mean, it's it's not a good look, to your point. I think a lot a lot of times in these situations, it's more about perception sometimes than it is even about the reality of the allegations and whether or not guilt is involved. I think what I would say is that by the board resigning and senior officials of the firm resigning is not an admission of guilt. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that they're guilty. What it does mean is that there is a total lack of confidence and trust in these individuals to perform their duties. 
whether that's Nedved, Agnelli, um, the senior management of the firm. So, you know, you have people who are in charge of the day-to-day operations, and then there's also the board of directors who are essentially, you know, beholden to the shareholders and to make sure that none of this kind of financial misconduct actually occurs in the first place. So, so that's what I would say. I mean, it's not a good look. It doesn't necessarily mean that these people are guilty or the event has done anything wrong. It just shows that the fact that you're even under investigation is not good. And so there was a decision obviously made at some point. I think a lot of times when they say resignation, it's actually a forced resignation. And so they're actually being fired essentially, but as a show of respect, and they allow you to resign versus, you know, getting turfed in a lot of ways. So that's what I would say there in terms of the whole board resigning. It's definitely not a good look. And I think in terms of the investigation, it bodes well for Juventus to tell the investigators and Consob, anyone else that say, hey, we cleared house, we were bringing independent people here, people who weren't involved, and that kind of gives them confidence moving forward as well. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think Juve's official position is that, at least in one of the statements they've released over the last week or week and a half, is that almost like this was just the club making a change in direction, which I guess could still... They both can be true, right? Like Exactly. Maybe it's related to this investigation. Maybe it isn't. I tried to research reasons why an entire board might step down and found some examples. Sometimes it happens because, you know, the board disagrees with the president's strategy, though I wonder why they wouldn't just fire the president in that yeah. case. And also in this case, the president is also the chairman of the board um, and well, that's stepped down as well. Yeah, that's where it becomes a little more difficult. When your CEO is also chairman of the board, you don't have that independence that you would. It's not great corporate governance and practice in general, but it is pretty common. You probably found that it's a pretty rare occurrence. It's not un, like it's not like it's never happened. My guess is that with the investigation evolving, they just thought it was the best decision to cut bait and start fresh. And I suspect that's why so many people are presuming guilt rather than innocence. Exactly. It also doesn't help that Juventus and Serie in general has a bit of a history of scandals. A lot of people have been comparing this alleged scandal to Calciopoli because that was sort of the last major one in Serie Mike, how does this or these accusations compare to Calciopoli? Well, I think the main difference is that Calciopoli was more of the on-the-field situation and scandal, while as this whole Prisma investigation and everything that's going on now is seems to be tailored more to more off the field and towards the financial aspect of the team and towards their books and you know the share price and the stockholders and all that. So, I think going back to Calciopoli in 2006, people would have thought, oh, they're, they're fixing the games and it's totally ruining the integrity of the league and things would have been different if this didn't happen and, you know, leading to all kinds of complaints and things of that nature. But today in this scandal, I'm not too sure how much the on-field performance and the on-field results would have changed. I mean, there's always the, it's all about money these days and there's always rules and financial uh, regulations that these teams have to abide by in order to register for, for the leagues. So you can make the case that maybe if all this is proven in the end, if they hadn't misrepresented all of their financials, that maybe they wouldn't be able to register for Serie or to adhere to uh, UEFA's regulations. So it's a bit of a tricky situation in that could it have affected results? Maybe. I doubt it. But there are always going to be people bringing back comparisons and saying, oh, it's Calciopoli all over again and we're back to 2006 and it's the same old story. So I think that's the main difference 
Yeah, I agree. Mattia Grassani is a sports lawyer who went on Rai Uno and gave an interview and talked about this subject of registering the club and whether that could be the reason that leads to certain types of punishments. I'll come back to that in a second. But to your point, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people are comparing this situation to Caltropoli is because they want to see the same punishment handed out. Basically, anyone who's not a Juventino wants this, which is fines, it's points deductions, and it's potentially relegation to Serie B. So I want to talk a bit about the potential consequences should Juventus be found guilty. And again, I'm trying to really make it clear that as of today, they are not guilty of anything. They're only being accused of something. Everyone right now is kind of jumping to conclusions. I suspect the punishment will depend on which, if any, of the charges they are found guilty of. Obviously, if Juventus prove that they have, in fact, complied with applicable accounting principles, then there won't be any punishment. Now. It seems to me that the most likely scenario is Juve are found guilty of some of the Prisma charges, but maybe not so much the Plus Valenza charges. Those are a little bit more difficult to to prove. Those financial irregularities are very much white-collar crimes. They're the type of crimes that any public organization can commit. It doesn't have to be a sports franchise. Sav, what type of punishments are sort of typically handed out for these types of white collar crimes? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Joe. I think you kind of hit it on the head and that, and that's kind of where this is a funny intersection between football and finance where the crimes really being alleged here don't really impact the football at all or aren't really involving the football. It's more, you know, financial fraud, market manipulation, uh, the fact that Juventus is now a publicly traded company. But typically I would say over the last couple of decades, the, emphasis on white collar crimes has definitely increased and the severity and the, and the charges and the convictions have also increased. There's a, you know, a lot of high profile cases that we could look to, you know, you have, you know, um, Bernie Madoff and the Ponzi schemes, you know, more recently we have Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos and she was recently handed an 11 year conviction for financial fraud. There is the recent explosion of FTX, the crypto uh, currency exchange. And so it's not uncommon. I think one thing to point out, these are very extreme scenarios where, you know, entire companies went belly up, people lost millions of dollars. There were a lot of victims that lost their life savings. I think what's different here is looking through the story and trying to find a victim, at least in the public, and saying who was harmed by this, um, you know, any kind of financial misconduct or misrepresenting of financial statements. I mean, it would ultimately be the investors, the people who were purchasing Juventus stock at like 30 cents, thinking that they had made, you know, you know, $100 million last year when in fact um, they lost $200 million, So really the price should have been, you know, 25 cents. And so I think there might have been some harm there, but it's not as wide scale or as impactful as some of these other high profile cases. So even though you could see a situation where people are facing criminal convictions of 10 to 20 years, I think in this case, that is very, very unlikely. You could see people being convicted, you know, maybe getting probation or paying some small fines. I think it's very unlikely anyone goes to jail over this. If there is someone, I'm sure they'll find a scapegoat that they can all point to and say it was this person, none of us, uh, none of, and everyone else just kind of pleads uh, negligent. But yeah, I, I mean, it's possible, but I think based on from what I've read in terms of the victims, the severity of the crimes, I don't think we're going to see uh, kind of anyone doing any big jail time here. Yeah, I tend to agree. And and then you have the added wrinkle of, well, wrinkles that one, this is happening in Italy. So, you know, it's a different 
different yeah. governing system than say in the US or in North America. And then the other is that this is a football club and we've seen numerous examples of football clubs breaking rules, but through whatever connections they have, they seem to, to get lesser punishments or, uh, or things are dragged on to the point where they're past the statute of limitations and things like mm -hmm. that. I think what's what's unique here too, Joe, is that this is the first time it's happened to a company that was publicly traded, as far as I know. And so that that's what it adds that's an extra piece where now you have CONSOB and the and the securities regulators involved and and the securities commissions and and so that that is maybe an interesting point here to like feature you know other clubs who are have been thinking about hey maybe we list our shares on an exchange now they're thinking hey if we do we have to be we're going to be held to an even higher standard in terms of who's looking at our financial statements the people kind of poking through our, our things and so yeah i think that's an interesting point there and something to consider as well for the future of football and what this case will have on that yeah and to your point earlier as well that the fact that the entire board has resigned which might have been a, a forced resignation there's also i believe juventus hired deloitte to do an internal audit and yep. you know, all of these things suggest that they're cooperating with the investigation and i think that generally helps when it comes to to sentencing or punishments if if they're found guilty mike alluded to this earlier but all of this is sort of off the field stuff so the chances that they're going to be getting on the field punishment seem sort of slim to me i think it's difficult to demonstrate how these financial crimes might influence the results on the pitch at first i thought okay maybe these financial irregularities have allowed juve to purchase players and then those players have improved the results on the pitch but I think we need to distinguish between things that are done for accounting purposes versus things that are done for financial purposes. And what I mean by that is that many of the allegations are aimed at things that were done just to sort of improve the books of the club. That doesn't mean that Juve couldn't necessarily afford to purchase players. We talked about this offline a little bit, but Exor has injected you know hundreds of millions of euros over the past few seasons. So if they really wanted to buy certain players, they could simply inject more cash, at least to pay down whatever debts they have so that they can afford to buy more players. I mentioned Mattia Grassani, who's this respected sports lawyer. He painted a bit of a grim picture in that interview with Rai Uno, where he said that there's a rule stating that if a club enters a season based on altered documents, then they could be excluded from the season. They could be relegated or potentially even lose past Scudetti. I assume that's what Mike was talking about in terms of registering the club for the season. I'm not terribly well-versed on this, but you know, I think the league has specific financial requirements such as minimum debt to equity ratio, things like that. And, and those things are constantly changing. The other accusation that could potentially get Juve into trouble are these reported dealings with clubs like Sassuolo, Atalanta, and so on. We've seen transactions involving players like Manuel Locatelli and Medi Demiral that had what seem to be very favorable terms for Juve. Now, we need to be careful here, at least as far as Napoli fans go, because the payment terms for Raspadori's transfer to Napoli are also very favorable for Napoli. Now, I don't know if there are wiretaps that may implicate someone like De Laurentiis or Cristiano Giuntoli. It seems like there are wiretaps that could implicate some of the executives at Juventus. I, I'm not even sure if those can be used in court, though. I just don't know about enough about Italian law to say one way or the other. Then you have to ask, does that alone warrant point deductions or relegations? And I guess that's for the courts to determine and remains to be seen. But I really doubt it. 
So for any Napoli fans who are hoping to be awarded a Scudetto for a past season, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. I mean, the Prisma investigation was for, I think, the last three seasons. So even if you were docked points for the previous seasons, it wouldn't be for 17-18, which was when Napoli came closest to winning the Scudetto. Even if 18-19 was part of the investigation, I think Juve would need to have been deducted like 12 points because Napoli were so far behind that season. So I'm not expecting any past Scudetti. And, you know, there's also the potential that even if they were found guilty, that like with Caltropoli, at least I think one of the two seasons, they just strip Juve of the title but leave it unassigned. So nobody gets the Scudetto. Okay, that will do for part two. In part three, we'll talk about how the league would be impacted if Juventus really were relegated and how, if at all, this off-the-field situation might affect the performance. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Of the t- Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Game on the field. Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Forza Napoli pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help me to continue to produce content both on the show and on our website at Forza Napoli Press. Okay, so we are all in agreement that the chances of Juve being relegated are pretty slim, but I do want to talk about the hypothetical situation in which Juventus are relegated. For anyone who follows Carlo Garganeza on Twitter, I've had him on the show, he's actually a great guy, but he does like to stir the pot on social media, and he got a lot of people on Twitter riled up, responding to all the other fans who are hoping for Juve to be relegated, so he tweeted... If you're an Italian football fan and you're cheering for Juventus to be relegated, you are an idiot. If Juventus are relegated, that is the end of not only Juventus, but your club and the whole of Italian football forever. 2006 already destroyed Serie A. This would be the final nail. Now, it didn't help that he called everybody idiots. and (laughs) He was being a little bit dramatic to claim that it would be the end of Italian football forever. But I am curious to know both of your thoughts on this idea that Italian football needs Juventus. Sab, you're pretty neutral on this, so I'll come to you first. Yeah, I I mean, I think that's a bit of an overstatement. I think people tend to overreact in these scenarios. They kind of jump to the most extreme case. You know, when I was first thinking about this, when it first came to light, I said, you know, if if Juventus is regulated, dock points, if they're banned from the Champions League or European football, it's going to be a momentary, a small blip in the history of the club. I think long term, I think Juventus will be fine. I don't think there's going to be any issues with the CDI as well. I wouldn't know if I would correlate 
what happened in 06 and I guess the bit of a downturn that CDI took in European football. I wouldn't necessarily correlate those two exactly together because I mean, clubs that weren't implicated also performed poorly over those over those years, you know, it was, and Juventus seemed to do just fine when they came back and won nine Scudetto in a row. So yeah, I think it's a bit overblown. I think worst case, if Juve were to get regulated, they would come back up after one year and then it would be, they wouldn't drop any players. Probably everyone would stay on like they did last time and then, and it'd be fine. So I, I think that's a bit overstated. I don't think it's going to cause a collapse of CDI or, or anything like that. I think that's a bit overblown. And that's, I think that's an extreme worst case scenario. I don't necessarily foresee that happening. I think we touched on this previously. I think it's difficult in this scenario to prove specifically the advantages they received on the field. It's more likely they're hit with fines, you know, and other, other areas, maybe have a transfer ban as opposed to getting regulated directly or even docking points in previous seasons. It would be another punishment, I think, where they could still look at it and say, hey, we hit them hard and not have to go to that extreme. Whereas I think the match fixing was, was a bit more clear cut that, that the allegations or whatever was proven or not proven was, had a direct impact on the results in the field. It was cheating, basically. I mean, you could probably make the argument that this is cheating as well, but I think it's a bit more difficult to make that argument. And that, like, to your point too, Joe, with, with other clubs involved, Napoli and, and a few other clubs that were investigated as well for their transfer fees paid for certain players. I mean, to scapegoat Juve and punish them and no one else, I don't think would go over well either. So there's a lot of things to consider when you're handing out these punishments. And so, and then I got even, you know, for the CDI officials, whoever's, whoever's in charge of, doling out the punishment yeah taking into consideration the impact of the league as a whole will this do more harm than good the listeners can't see your faces but mike cringed a little bit when you talked about players not leaving <laughs> he's <laughs> probably thinking back to calciopoli where some players stayed del piato trezeguet buffon but other big names ibrahimovic didn't stick around mm-hmm. mike i'm curious to know your thoughts on that but also just this general point about the importance of juventus to the league yeah i just Touching on that point again, I remember Calciopoli and it was just a few, like you mentioned, a few loyal, including Nedved was one of the ones that stayed as well. But I'd say the majority of the of the big players didn't want to do the year in the, in the lower division and, and took off for greener pastures. But it's a tough question right now because honestly, we don't really know what's going on. Every day there's like new new things leaked and new new angles are coming out and documents are being revealed and interviews are happening and wiretaps are coming out. And it's really hard to say what is going to happen and if they're going to get a point penalty, if they're going to get fully kicked out of the league for a season or two. But uh, let's say they do, like you're saying, apart from all the fans of the rival teams who'd probably love to see it happen because it would give their teams a clearer shot at success. I don't think it's a good thing for the league as a whole. Let's be honest, already as things stand, a lot of these teams are suffering financially in Italy right now. It's not a good situation. The pandemic has really stripped these teams down to, you know, their backs are to the wall right now in terms of finances. They've already gotten help from the government, you know, delaying tax payments and all, all kinds of things. And, and the government is kind of coming calling now for these payments and they don't want to delay them anymore. And a rumor is a lot of these teams are, are going to struggle to make those remittances. So there could be a, a grim little period here for the league. And I think that anytime you lose one of your big players, it's not going to look good on the overall product. I mean, if you look at Premier League, you maybe have like, you know, six, seven, eight big teams with a lot of money that can, you know, carry the, the weight of the league. I don't think there's that many in Italy that 
are as big. And I think Juventus is probably the top dog in that regard. Another point, I believe, Joel, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if they're currently negotiating the new rights for a new TV deal for the next couple of years or not. If that's going on currently, I don't think that if they're going into these negotiations with the threat of having one of the main players maybe not there for a season, I don't know how much that would would help their deal that they're, they're able to secure. So end of the day, I mean, it's all about money and, and how much money the league can bring in to keep itself running. I mean, it's 2022 and it's a business and we all know that that's, that's how things go these days. So obviously for Juventus fans, it'll be a nightmare, like bringing back old demons. And for the league, again, anything could still happen, but I'm, I'm a little bit more on the side of it. It would be a little bit more negative than, than positive. And as Sav mentioned, how much of a advantage did they really gain from all of this? The only thing I can think of is, as I mentioned, if they use these little maneuvers and tricks to, to meet the ratios and stipulations needed to sign up for the league for that current year. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's Juve. They're backed by Exor. They've got endless funds. I don't really think that it's anything that would really have prevented them from you know, being able to register for the league. If Cremonese and Salernitana can find a way to, to make the financial ends meet, I don't think it would be something that, that Juve would be uh, unable to meet. So we're, I think we're at the tip of the iceberg here. And to be honest, the, the deeper this goes, I think there's a possibility for more teams to be un, you know, revealed as having been involved or doing kind of the same kind of things like it is Italy and, you know, it's got a history of corruption everywhere. So the deeper we go, I don't know how deep they want to go. It could end up, it could blow up in everyone's face. I mean, every day we find out new things. So we'll have to see how, how things go. I think there's, you can draw a parallel. So we discussed earlier too, on does the punishment fit the crime? Similar to what we discussed with the criminal convictions and anyone doing jail time. It's, it's, can you justify, you know, was the advantage they received worthy enough of, of a, I guess like an ultimate punishment, which would be, I guess, relegation. I think that would be the worst case, I think, in this scenario, right? I and mean, then maybe it'd be depending on how long they're relegated for, like they force them to stay in CDB for like five years, let's say. But I think that's the, in the ultimate end of the spectrum. And so they can probably find somewhere in between where they can be happy with the outcome of the punishment, but also not take it to that level, I think. I think it's more, maybe a little bit, more likely that UEFA might come down a little bit harder on them. I mean, yeah. that UEFA and Juventus and Agnelli were not on, uh, we're not seeing eye to eye these last last couple of years. So they're already kind of in the doghouse there. So, you know, it's possible maybe they bring down the book on them and they, they do something. As in terms of being kicked out of Serie A or relegated down to Serie B again, for me, it's a long shot. But yeah. again, anything possible at this point. Yeah, I think we're all aligned on that. And that's why I called this more of a hypothetical, because I don't actually think they'll be relegated. I completely agree on UEFA and financial fair play violations, because as I mentioned in part one, they had a settlement agreement that was based on the information that you've provided. And if that changes, then that could affect the settlement agreement. But to Mike's point, I mean, that was basically Carlo's justification for why this would be bad for the league as a whole as well. It's the broadcast rights. Now, domestically i think the league is probably fine because the zone has the rights for a couple more seasons to your point sav it depends on how long if they were to get relegated i mean seti b is very very competitive right now so if they lost a lot of players i mean you would still expect Juve to come right back up but who knows if they lost a lot of their best players maybe there's a chance they don't that would be detrimental but 
chances are they would come right back up. And so Juve would be back in the league by the time the new contract was issued for the new broadcast rights. There's also the, what Carlo referenced is the international TV rights, which I think typically those are renewed on an annual basis. But the way Carlo tried to sort of justify his point also leads me to disagree a little bit because what he pointed out is that, you know, the Premier League currently makes $1.8 billion or euros per season on international TV rights. La Liga makes a billion and Lega Serie A makes $225 million. And he claims to have seen the figures that it would become if Juve were relegated, which is around $125 million. So a bit less than half of what they're currently making just on international TV rights. Now, Carlo is good friends with Adriano Del Monte, who works for many broadcasters, including Bian. So I suspect that's probably where he's getting his information from. Personally, I think it's a weak argument, though. First, I mentioned the domestic rights, which is the lion's share of the revenue that most leagues are generating is domestically. Although international market seems to be, I think, the the growth potential for the league. So it's it's extremely important. But I feel like if that's the gap today, if today, even before any news of the scandal surfaced, Serie A was making a quarter of what La Liga is making and, I don't know, an eighth or whatever the Premier League is making, then that is already a big enough issue for Serie A to just consistently fall further and further behind. Like, I, how much of a difference does that extra $100 million make? Because to me, it's it's the way the league is being run in the first place. That is what is killing Serie A, not so much, you know, this one scandal. I mean, La Liga, that billion-dollar agreement that they have was offered to Serie A first. And, of course, you know, you put these 20 presidents in one room and you're never going to come up with a unanimous decision on anything. So they ultimately rejected this idea of building a, a Serie A media company. The guys from CBC went to La Liga and they accepted the deal and now they're in a much stronger position. And the last thing I'll say is, in my opinion, Serie A is currently not as dependent on Juventus as La Liga are on Barcelona and Real Madrid. That might have been the case three or four seasons ago, but Juve haven't won the last two Scudetti. They're currently 10 points back of Napoli as we sort of near the midway point of this, the current season. But it's at least seeming like Serie A is a little bit more competitive in the last couple of seasons than it has been over the last decade or so. That's what I want to talk about next. After Napoli, Juve were the most informed club in all of Serie A heading into this World Cup break. Like, this is probably a difficult question to answer, but do you think all of this stuff happening off the field might impact the results on the field, which is obviously something Napoli fans are very interested in knowing? So that's a good question, Joe. It, it, it could definitely have a an impact on the field, but maybe not in the way that you're thinking. I mean, it could have a negative impact. It could even have a positive impact. You know, there's been times through history where teams have gone through situations like this and you know it tightens people up and you know you get stronger together and and it could end up helping like i'm not saying that that's going to happen but 2006 all that stuff came out and then italy won the world cup so everyone was kind of raining down on on italy and the country and you know the league and and then you know we saw what happened so it's possible that it affects you know the results on the pitch it could go both ways now having said that it could go positively it could also go negatively in that maybe some of these sanctions and penalties are, are announced at a certain point uh, in the second half here and you know maybe 
to an extreme, say they do get relegated for next season or something. I don't know when that would ever be announced, if it was during the season or not, but maybe then, you know, some of the players think, okay, well, I'm out of here next year anyway, so they stop caring for the current year. I mean, hypothetically, it's possible that it does have an impact on the field. But if you want my honest opinion, I don't think it's going to affect too much for the second half. I think Allegri now, for all the people that wanted him out, and, you know, we're always calling for him to be gone at every every loss that they had or every tough game that they showed in the first half, he actually came out of this with even way more power than he had before. Like the whole board and everybody, you know, all the, the management is out and he's still there. So it feels like he's going to be like somebody that they're all going to, the players aren't going to really have anyone else to talk to right now or to look up to, to ask questions. He's going to have pretty much total control. No one's going to be breathing down his neck. We all know Nedved was never a big fan. So now he's out of the picture. So I think it's possible that Allegri kind of takes control. As you said, they were on a good stretch going into the break. It's your anyone's guess how they'll do coming out of the break. I mean, I think that goes for Napoli as well, because Napoli was just playing on a, on a level that I don't think any of us had ever seen up to now over the first 14 or so games. So, I mean, it's going to be a, interesting to see how all the teams handle this break. That's something that's never been done before. So we'll see how, how things go. It's, it's really uh, anyone's guess what happens. Completely random thought that I, I texted in our group chat earlier today. But since you mentioned Italy's 2006 squad, Genoa today hired Alberto Gilardino to be their new coach. So we now have, I believe, five members of that squad coaching in Serie B at, at the moment. I think you have Cannavaro at Benevento, De Rossi's there, Grosso, I want to say a Frosinone. Inzaghi's there. He's so. he's like the king of Serie B. <laughs> he can't can't quite make it in Serie A. Um, on Allegri, it's funny because a lot of people were calling for Allegri's head earlier in the season, but he's really turned the ship around. You've have won six straight matches heading into the World Cup break. They've conceded only seven goals all season, which is easily the best in the league. And it's it's very Allegri, very Juventus. When you think back to that streak of Scudettos, even if obviously he wasn't in charge for all of them, but you know, probably the second half of them. And he's probably the perfect coach to have in this situation in terms of just ensuring that the players are not distracted by by everything that's happening off the pitch. So unfortunately, I, I tend to agree that for Napoli fans, I wouldn't necessarily view this as giving us a an extra bit of an edge in terms of the race for the Scudetto. That's basically all I wanted to cover today. But Sav, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Yeah, I would just, you know, it's funny that last question about how it impact the on-field product. I mean, as a Chelsea fan, we've seen a few scandals ourselves over the years. And I think Mike, you know, said it well, where it's really hard to predict how the team will react. I mean, a lot of times they could take this news and, and look at it like us versus the world and everyone's against us. And it really just kind of bands them together. Or it's a big distraction with the questions and reporters every day after practice and every day after every game. And maybe they have a hard time dealing with that. But, and even the Allegri now looking back, knowing what we know today, it's like, you know, I was wondering during their run of form where they were losing a few games, if his time would be up and they, they stayed with them. And it's like, okay, was it a football decision or was it a financial decision where it was going to be too expensive for them to cut him loose and, and hire someone else? Or was it one they thought that he would be able to write the ship, but regardless, he's still there. And it seems like he's the man now. And, Let's see what he does for the rest of the season. It is interesting, definitely an interesting case. I feel like over the last few years, I've been saying uh, we've been we're living through interesting times quite a bit. 
But I, I think this is a good case study. I mean, regardless for whatever happens moving forward for, and, and I think other clubs around Europe will be on notice. I mean, I think Juve is probably not the only club that's probably working with a little bit of funny accounting to kind of make things balance. And so there might be a bit more scrutiny for everyone involved. So I'm just curious to see how things go. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, any final thoughts? Yeah, I think I've uh, I've been coming off as a little bit of defensive of the club, as you know, would be natural of me being a supporter. But I do want to mention that I think this change, the stepping out of the board of directors, this is, I'm actually happy because for years I was never really a fan of, of the management. I couldn't stand Paratici and, you know, I loved Pavel Medved as a player, but I never, I never really understood why he was there, what he, what he brought to the club as the vice president. So I think going forward, this could end up being good because it's been a few years now that the club has kind of just kind of just been operating without a clear path, without a plan, not really knowing what they're doing, kind of going in one direction, you know, one month in the total opposite direction, the other month signing players that they didn't need, having gaps in the formation and different parts of the field, kind of just swapping good young players for questionable other players. You know, so it was just time. I, I, I'm big, I was a big fan of Agnelli. I, you know, he came in, he really turned the club around over his nine years. But I think it was just a classic case of maybe, you know, getting a little bit greedy, biting off uh, more than he could chew. And, you know, kudos to him. He tried, but it doesn't look like it panned out with his, you know, the decisions that he made in, in, the, in the second half of his, of his tenure. So hopefully we get somebody, uh, well, they got Gianluca Ferrero as the new president. We'll see what he can do. You know, fresh face could be good. And, you know, there's always a dream for uh, Del Piero to come in as uh, in some sort of role to take us to uh, to better times and uh, to bring us back. And thanks for having me on the pod. And happy birthday to Andrea Agnelli. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when I saw the the timing of the club's tweet on on that one, couldn't couldn't be better. It was like happy birthday, President, <laughs> after after he just resigned. But I I think that's a a fair point in terms of. You know, it, it was time for a new look. I completely agree that the club seemed to be all over the place. I mean, the three of us and a bunch of others have had like countless discussions about the whole Ronaldo signing and whether that was right for Juve or not. You know, I, I think looking back, we can probably say that definitively it didn't work out. <laughs> the beginning of the end was that, that, that signing. It's uh... probably the, the you know the thing that made uh, it all it all start there. They kept trying to come back after that it crippled them and they kept trying to look for shortcuts and and the shortcuts led to some bad roads it seems that they they decided to go down and correct me if i'm wrong but was that part of the reason why marota left because it also seems like his departure was a bit of a a start for for everything to come crashing down his departure seems like it, it it seems that Marotta was and still is a great general manager, director yeah, of the team. He, he knows what he's yeah. doing. Even seeing a, 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 what he's doing at Inter, he's you know he's doing a great job everywhere he goes. And I think him leaving and the simultaneous Paratici kind of ascending to his role is kind of what kicked everything off here. Because hearing some of these these you know the, the news that comes out every day, this the wiretaps that they have about this conversation and that conversation. And it just seems like Paratici was just just not the guy you want running your team, just this, a piece of garbage, basically. And uh, it seems <laughs> all, all of, our, uh, all of our, our suspicions were true. And 
Maralta has he's never publicly admitted that you know it was the Ronaldo thing that led him to leave. Maybe he kind of foresaw this and where it would leave them financially and maybe he's you know he's got integrity and he would never do things like this so he wanted to maybe get out of here before anything like this happened but i do think that was probably the main thing why he went i think he was strictly against it and his uh, assistant at the time paratici just kind of went over his head to the president they kind of just agreed without his approval and and they decided to go for it. And it looks like they're, I saw something maybe last week, they were compared to Icarus and he flew too close to the sun. And Ronaldo, I guess, is the sun in this uh, statement. He's burning out pretty quickly though, but. Uh, <laughs> That's a good point, Icarus. I mean, it seems like they're a victim of their own success in, in a sense, right? Like they, they were winning so much and they were chasing that Champions League dream. And, and so maybe they overreached on that signing and couldn't afford it financially. And, and probably wasn't in their best interest, but yeah. uh, and then afterwards, instead of selling and maybe you know maybe not competing for the scudetto every year and saying we'll take it three years to like rebuild and you know sign some young players and they were unwilling to do that and so again continued to make decisions that probably was not in the best financial interests of the firm or, or the company and so now they're kind of paying the price. Yeah, and you talked earlier about sort of individual punishments. It seems like Paratici is probably. If anyone's gonna get, you know, the severest penalty out of out of any of these executives, ironically, it's the guy who left the club <laughs> the earliest. But it seems like he he might be. Well, there's a couple names that are out there um, on the legal team and stuff like that that could have some pretty severe punishments as well. Okay, so that is where we'll leave it. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore D5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Fortsonapoli Pod. You can also find more content over at our website, fortsonapolipress.com, where we've been covering the entire international break, which thankfully is over for Napoli players, and looks like maybe Kim Min Jae might have a, a calf injury, but otherwise we came out relatively unscathed i'm hoping to be back soon with another episode of forza napoli worldwide but until then i'm joe fischetti forza napoli center Podcast Network.